the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Yes, it started when we were on air about this time yesterday, but obviously the fire conditions and the fires burning in areas of Victoria have gotten much worse and authorities are doing a big job right now trying to gain some control. There are those emergency warnings in place that you've been hearing about all morning and last evening as well on ABC Radio. We'll continue to keep you updated as the situation unfolds. We'll also get an update from the fire ground, hoping to get some information from those who are out with authorities, checking up on livestock, checking up on farming infrastructure. We're talking fences, we're talking hay sheds. Uh, They're on the fire ground right now. We hopefully will be able to cross to that. Phone service permitting... Uh, shortly on the program. When we have those details for you, we'll be able to bring them to you as well. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. We'll head across and uh, have a chat to uh, Angus Verley, who's out there at the moment uh, in just a second. Before we get there, though, uh, let's take you to the real cold reality of uh, dealing with these fires for many residents in these uh, regions. Mount Lonak resident Eve Ogilvie has evacuated to the Maryborough Relief Centre. She slept in her car in Avoca last night, described her trip to Maryborough as a comedy of errors. I was supposed to have a blood test at 8.30 in Avoca. She said she's worried about sheep. She is left behind and spoke with ABC reporter Shannon Schubert this morning at the Relief Centre in Maryborough. This is a little of that conversation. I left home, my housemate left in her car and I left a couple of minutes after her, had a flat tyre. By the time I got to the bitumen, that was shredded. Some people who were doing ember watch up on the hill saw my car and after about an hour they thought, there's something wrong. So they helped me, got the spare tyre put on. So I got into Avoca. We spent the night there in the cars. So I thought, well, seeing the evacuation centre is in Maryborough. Well, okay, we're going to Maryborough, and that's it. And so, yeah, you've come to the Maryborough Relief Centre this morning. Any idea how your house is going? None at all yet. None at all. Um, from what they say, even though Mount Lonark's not mentioned. It sounds like it could be in a line of fire. So, by the look of it, we'll both be sleeping in our cars tonight because um, Lilius won't be able to get down on the floor and she's got her dog with her, so I'll sleep in my car as well. You know, I'll be parking under the oak tree. If you leave your car in an exposed area, it gets colder. And I haven't got a tarp with me, so... That's one thing I learnt very quickly. Oh. Put a tarp on the car and it's well, five degrees warmer. And a, how far away is your house from here? 60. Yep. Good 60 kilometres. Yep. So long as my animals are okay. I've got sheep, so... That's what I worry. Yeah. That's your main worry? Yeah. Fortunately, some of the paddocks are fairly bare, so... They have the sense to go to those paddocks. I should be fine. Oh, my wool buyer keeps telling me I should reduce my numbers. Oh. I'd rather take them to market than yeah. have to have them shot or something. Hopefully, yeah. uh, fingers crossed. No, for I'm, you. I'm optimistic. You have to be. 
That's Mount Lonark resident Eve Ogilvie speaking with uh, Shannon Schubert there. Angus Verley is the rural reporter out on the fire ground this morning, can join you on the program. G'day, Angus. G'day, Was. What have you seen so far? We've travelled down from Horsham to Beaufort this morning, Was, so we've travelled past Mount Cole where that fire started. Uh, we saw that hole still enveloped in smoke and then carried on toward Beaufort, which was the initial direction of that fire. Uh, both at this morning has just been uh, a hive of activity, dozens of CFA, CFA trucks and hundreds of volunteers in there. Some of those would have just, just got back from a night's firefighting, preparing to head back out again. Uh, we had a chat with a local farmer and CFA volunteer, Nigel Hook. Uh, he just got back on uh, uh, from from being at the fires and he described to us what the fires were like because we just obviously we hadn't seen the, the full ferocity of them themselves. And he said he'd never seen anything like it. Spot fires starting everywhere, hundreds and hundreds of metres ahead of the fire. And that just tells how strong that wind was and, and how difficult it made it to fight because it wasn't just the fire front proper, but it was all of these spot fires starting so far ahead of it. And when you have spot fires and big winds and and a lot of that going on on a pretty hot and dusty day too, I guess. Um, what's the wash-up like? Is it is it fairly smoky around that area still today? It is. We're just out at the moment at Rob Palatier's place. Uh, people may have heard him on the radio this morning. He's got an orchard here just northwest of Beaufort. He's just been driving around uh, his property with him, and uh, most of the property there are smouldering logs and trees and fences all, all being burnt or, or scorched. Um, that's one farm. There'll be dozens and dozens of farms that'll be affected. There'll be entire properties that will be completely burnt out. Uh, this is sheep country through here. Uh, and there'll be properties that won't have a blade of grass left. Of course, there'll be livestock that have been burnt or, or injured in the fires and will need to be put down. I think you're going to, to speak to a farmer more about that. But yeah, as, as we move on from this, um, yeah, there'll certainly be a need for, for fodder to be trucked into these properties that have got nothing left for their livestock to eat. And uh, 11,000 or so hectares uh, in, in that country too, Angus, is pretty rich type sheep country too, isn't it? So a, a lot of producers will be affected there. That's right. Yeah, fairly high stocking rates. People may have heard Charlie DeFagley this morning talking about, yeah, this being real sheep country, lots of sheep around. Uh, and in the, as you said, this fire moved so fast that people didn't really have many options in terms of trying to get their livestock away from these fires. So these figures will take a quite a while to filter through from Agriculture Victoria, but the stock losses will have to be substantial just given the area and the nature of the fire. And what's the mood been like with the people that you have been chatting to so far this morning, Angus? It, it always astounds me, was in these situations, we're chatting here with Rob Pallas here, who couldn't be more chipper, and you just wonder, as you look around, as I'm doing right now, around his farm with with um, barely, barely a bit of green left to be seen, apart from these fruit trees that haven't been burnt, and, and he's, he seems as happy as can be, and it was the same in town, talking to the the CFA volunteers this morning um, probably hadn't had any sleep sleep last night, but they were happy to have a chat with us and you know, sharing pictures on their phone of some of the fires that they fought last night. And yeah, the mood it's, it's it always astounds me how positive people can be in the in the face of adversity. 
And can you, in speaking of, of pitches and, and, and that hive of activity, are you seeing a lot of trucks around? Are you hearing a lot of air support, um, like a lot of helicopters and so forth going overhead? 100%, yeah. There the, are the choppers going overhead constantly, uh, driving out to uh, this property only about three kilometres from Beaufort. We passed probably 10 fire trucks mopping up, putting out little... Um, little flare-ups because it while it's not hot today it's cooled down quite a lot it's still very windy and of course this is a i'm, I'm here where the fire has been and gone but this this fire is a, is a moving beast and um those winds those winds will be continuing to drive that fire in that uh, northerly direction and it's it might be too early to make a judgment on this though um angus and obviously there were strong warnings leading up to this event about uh, Thursday being a difficult day for fire conditions, but has it has the fire season coming so late in February taken some of these uh, farmers and people in that area by surprise? Given we had such a wet summer, it was so green until until recently, and now all of a sudden some large fires are upon us. Well, well, that's right, it was and it's just I mean speaking to people here, we, someone just told us this morning about fences on his property. He knows that there hasn't been a fire through here in in at least 50 years because the fences are 50 years old and now they're gone. Uh, and we've had a string of perhaps, I don't know, even myself, I've become a little bit sort of complacent or, or removed from the, the risk of fires because we've had a string of pretty mild summers, pretty wet summers, and we haven't had a lot of big fires in Western Victoria in, in recent years. You'd have to go back probably a decade to, uh, or back to 2019 down in Southwest Victoria. But Certainly, as you say, wet summers, um, and we haven't had those high temperatures. We haven't really had those those conditions conspire to, to create fires like we've had this weekend, of course, last week at the Grampians. And, of course, it can be a bad fire season. We're not sort of passing judgment on that. It sort of just happened rather quickly. Angus Verley, some really good information. Thank you very much for, for being there and providing that for us today. Thanks, Loz. Angus Verley there at Beaufort, uh, 1300 977 If you'd like to call us, you can text 204-678-4272. Really interesting that anecdote from Angus too, the, the idea that you, you know a fire hasn't been through a certain area because your fences are 50 years old. Uh, it's a pretty good measure, simple measure to, to understand sort of how rare an event like that is, and it's certainly a big one we're dealing with now. We'll give you the full warnings of what's happening and, and an update on that at 12.30 on the program today. Uh, as we, we prepare that for you, we'll continue to look around and hear from primary producers in that region and how they're going at the moment. And I will head to the fire ground shortly to hear about the impact on agriculture with some people are there, phone permitting, but hopefully we'll be there soon. Let's talk to one producer who's not there right now. Information's still coming out on the extent of damage to properties from the bushfire that is out of control at Mount Cole. Sally Watson runs a vineyard and a farm stay at Mount Cole. She evacuated the property yesterday afternoon and is waiting to hear whether the house has survived, but says it was in the path of the fire. I was out in the garden and the, the bomber planes were going over and then I looked up and, and saw all the smoke and... Uh, I, we sort of hung around for a little while, sort of putting sprinklers on and packing a few things in our bag. And, and then uh, a fire service guy come up and said, oh, it's coming over the mountain, you better go. So we just jumped in the car and, and left. And that was yesterday afternoon? Yeah, yeah. We would have been oh, probably around one, two o'clock, something like that, yeah. And what yeah. kind of property have you got there? It's a vineyard, uh, is it? We're an Airbnb, yeah. It's uh, around 100 acres and we've got a vineyard there and... 
yeah, we've put a lot of work in it, effort into it, and I'm pretty sure it's all gone now. Yeah. So. Mm. Thank you so much for, I guess, letting us know the information you have at this stage. And I really I hope that you get some good news in the next couple of hours. Hopefully, yeah. A lot of our, our neighbours and friends' houses were fine. So, But we're right in amongst the um, forest, so we're just not quite sure about the glot So, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. So that's Sally Watson, who's got the vineyard and farm stay at Mount Cole. Let's swing around, I suppose southeast is what you'd say, and head towards Raglan now. Liza Robinson runs a hobby farm and farm stay at Raglan. She says she didn't have time to move her sheep before she evacuated yesterday, and she's waiting to hear what's happened to her property. We packed up and left about 2 o'clock yesterday as it started and as requested by the app, and we went to Ballarat to stay with relatives. And can you tell me a little bit about your property. You've got a hobby farm there, is that right? Yeah, we just have a small hobby farm, about eight acres, and we do a little bit of Airbnb there, and we've got some lovely um, pets, <laughs> animals um, that we're obviously very worried about. Um, did you manage to get the animals out okay? No, unfortunately. We were at a bit mixed sort of feelings about that. I mean, we know the policies are supposed to open the gates to let them go, but we were a little bit concerned about that idea too, so we've left them where they're supposed to be and we're hoping for the best. And h- how many sheep have you got there? Only eight. <laughs> Very spoiled sheep. <laughs> yeah. They'll be, look- they'll be looking for their food this morning if they're still there. All right. Well, fingers crossed that they get through okay. So the latest information you have is from 10 o'clock last night. Um, when Where are you getting your updates from at the moment? Are, are you hearing directly um, from anybody? No, not anyone directly. We obviously, we're following the app and the instructions on the apps, of course. And also from Facebook, actually, from some of the community pages on Facebook are pretty great and, and good networking, of course, just regular texts from other neighbours and relatives, people in the community that we all know, which has been fantastic. That's Liza Robinson there, Hobby Farm and Farm Stay at Raglan, talking about uh, her concerns, really, about what she'll find when she goes home, speaking there to Elsie Kennedy. We're about to head to the fire ground. We'll do that in just a moment. There is a couple of texts coming in. I love this one from Pricey saying, can you read out this message? Big shout out to Nighty and Mick, Wazza, Gilby, Jildy, Micka and the Montgomery crew and co for all their help at Raglan. Of course, Pricey. Thank you for sending that through. And I think out of that whole list of great nicknames, Wazza is my favourite for obvious reasons. Uh, so shout out, double shout out to you, Wazza. Uh, if you'd love to give us any more details, Pricey, we'd love to hear it. You can always give us a text, 0467 842 722. Uh, keep us in the, updated on how things are looking uh, where you are right now. Uh, would love to get that information. We'll give you those warnings soon. We'll head to the Weather Bureau, Rural News on the way. We'll talk some other agricultural news and information today on the Country Hour as well. Uh, but depending on how things obviously change, uh, it's all prone to change from here on in. We can head to the uh, to the fire ground now, though, and find out how things are looking. James Kirkpatrick is uh, out uh, representing some of the Victorian Farmers Federation crew with uh, staff from Agriculture Victoria looking at the impact of these fires in the areas that you can get into. Uh, James, uh, tell us where you are. What does it look like and uh, what are you seeing? Well, at the moment, we're at uh, north of Raglan, up in the, the granite country on the side of uh, Mount Cole and Mount Buanga State Park. And uh, it's a weird fire, Warwick. It's big, not a big front in place, and it's spot fires and patchy everywhere, and there's bits of bare ground, and luckily, we're quite surprised. 
was not the impact on livestock we thought there might be because we just thought the way the fire was. But uh, we're doing inspections at the moment and there's, there's going to be a few lost on a few farms, but we've had no big numbers at this stage. But there will be hay requirements. A lot of bird areas. It's uh, short grass and they'll need hay. So we've, we've already got that in place with the VFF. We've been in touch with them and uh, we're liaising with the Pyrenees Council. Once we get some road clears and some things in order, we can set up a staging and get both the people to get hay or do So, so that's really interesting, James. The idea that the the fire sort of moved quickly and was was patchy in in places that stock have probably been able to to, to survive better than first thought. Yes, and um, some of the, as you got further away from the front, some people they had enough time. They used the initiative and got um, sheep and livestock into uh, containment areas. And as you got down near Dragon, we were surprised how many green rape and roosters had a green. That's that's saved the fire in some spots. So I'd say the livestock impact's not great. A few uh, sheds gone and fencing, fencing down. Yeah, I'd imagine quite a lot of fencing. What kind of country are we talking about here, James? You're riding against the state parks, and it's, a, it's sort of as you come out from there, it gets less and less timber. You get out on the granite country, granite sandy country, and it's good, it's good grazing. It's not cropping country. Good grazing country. And a few prime lamb. Oh, yeah, sorry. The, the phone line just uh, dropped out a little bit on us there, James. But in terms of the people... That you've seen when you've been out on the on the fire ground, how are, how are spirits after such a such a big event? Well, most of course, most of them uh, had to leave. They got their stock in in safe spot, then they left. And we're talking to one old gentleman, and he was surprised he got back in his house and still standing. And his na- and his neighbours was down. We went checking, it, and it was burned. And one up the road was burned. So he said, "I got my house. I got my home." Yeah, that's uh, that's a great attitude. I suppose um, just in terms then of, of the feed situation you were saying as well, so uh, you say sort of the plans are already afoot with the Victorian Farmers Federation and the authorities there to, to get some, some feed into those areas that are hardest hit? I was talking to Scott Young, VFF Livestock President, this morning and uh, I've had three or four farmers ring me or we've always had a list of people if they um, need to donate hay, we're right. So we're... We're, right, we're going to be right the initial because sometimes people are in shell shock and they all want, oh, we want half a dozen bales now. I said, look, let's bring a truckload and it'll keep you going for a week and don't have to worry about it. So it'll be – but there'll be – I've been talking to the council president, shy president, and there will be a uh, a meeting sometime soon with all the state uh, – people have got a, an interest in this fire and we'll work out our plan then. But we want to try and get the uh, couple of roads open so we can get access in to get uh, eight of these farmers because there's a lot of trees down. Yeah, and and I suppose too. You, you mentioned stock losses, probably better than first thought. What kind of animals are we looking at? Is some some sheep losses hit there, I'd imagine, or or is it more than that? That have been shot already, or they're all merinos. Yeah, but not not a huge number by the sounds of it. No, well, it's only early stages because the department have broken this fire before sector. We're dealing with the, the western sector where it started, and we've been to. Uh, Farms, I'm probably going to have to shoot 30 sheep all up on those three farms so far. But they haven't checked the whole property. They're still checking up where it goes against the, the state park where it's a bit more heavily 
And obviously a lot of warnings about the it being bad fire weather. So do you think, uh, particularly on the Thursday when this fire started, so do you think that helped a lot of farmers be prepared, James? Oh, yes, I think. The people are farming, their, their livestock is their life. They're all pretty good at it. Most of us have, a, have a, a designated paddocks to put the sheep in and uh, well, we've got uh, some green summer fodder. We'll get some bad areas. But this this was a weird fire, I said earlier. The spots everywhere, you'll see a, a big patch burnt around the acres. Then there's a strip about uh, 10 metres wide, 20 metres wide. Of, it runs for half a kilometre. It's bare. hasn't been burnt. The sheep have been able to get on it. It's just not mass black. It's spotted. It's gone all over the place. And is that really unusual, James, to how that country usually burns? Well, I can't, I can't remember the last fire here. It was a while ago, but when it was a fire, it's normally it's a fire. It just, it just burns the whole lot. Because the fires at Raglan, Raglan didn't get burnt, but it's spotted three kilometres and five kilometres other side of both. It's been spotting three, five, eight kilometres ahead of the front. Gosh. Well, you've got important work to keep doing. You and Charlie DeFagley out there with the Agriculture Victoria stuff. It's great that you're out doing it so quickly. Thank you very much for, for taking us here and telling us what it's like today. No worries, Rod. Cheers. Catch up with you again. It's James Kirkpatrick uh, speaking to you there, farmer in that region out with uh, VFF officials, out with Agriculture Victoria officials on the fire ground, as you heard, in that Raglan area looking at the fallout and the impact of some of those fires with plenty of fences burnt, uh, said hay sheds, uh, a lot of them have gone up and uh, said has some sheep had to have been uh, put down this morning as well and they're still assessing just if there are any further impacts. But, but good news by the sounds of it is it's not as bad as well first feared before they got onto that fire ground, but already 30 or so merinos across three farms have had to be killed due to their impacts uh, of the fire. Uh, 1300 if you'd like to join us. Hopefully... Hopefully you're okay. The phone line wasn't great. I completely understand uh, if that was frustrating for you to listen to, but you don't get that many opportunities to get onto the fire ground and get uh, information like that so quickly. Uh, so I thought it was worth persisting with to try and get you that information as we could. And a very different fire for that area too, as you, you heard uh, James talking about. A lot of spots, a lot of country being burnt, but then little patches where it hasn't been burnt as well. So that... That's an interesting detail, too, to keep uh, note of. You can text us again. I'll give you the full uh, the full rundown of uh, fire warnings in just a moment. Uh, you, uh, There are a couple of texts here just before we get to that. Ne- Neil Chandler from the Mount Alexandra Shire Council, the recovery coordinator, says a session tonight at Newstead Community Centre on climate and natural disasters. Uh, people impacted by the fires are welcome to attend. That's not an official uh, emergency session, but if you are looking for something to do whilst you're away, 5.30 to 7.30 at Newstead there. Uh, Sal uh, from the Camel Sanctuary at Mount Lonnock says, we chose to stay and fight. Long night of ember attacks and waiting and watching for approach of the fire front. We have a good fire plan and set up with sprinklers, good water and pumps and hoses. Couldn't leave our animals, especially the camel, uh, potty calf and cow calf who are here at the house. Uh, still on alert today, praying for Evoker and Amphitheatre, says uh, Sal. Thanks very much for that, Sal, on the text line too. You're listening to The Country Out. We'll be back with the warnings for you in just a moment. This week on Landline, from a failed hazelnut venture 
to a golden opportunity to grow Australia's appetite for pistachios. Good growth of the last six years since we started our nursery. And the dairy farmers getting out of their comfort zones to shine a light on mental health. There's a lot of soul searching inside a tractor by yourself wondering, you know, how am I going to get out of all this? That's Landline, Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Yes, you're listening to ABC Local Radio. Let's get the latest details on the fires burning in Victoria. ABC Radio Emergency Information. Here's the details on that Warwick complex of fires. There's an emergency warning current for the fire burning between Mount Cole and Raglan near Beaufort, northwest of Ballarat. The fire front is burning near Glenlogie, travelling in a northeasterly direction towards Elmshurst and Amphitheatre. Further northeast, the town of Avoca is under an advice message. If you're in the area around Raglan to Bayandine, north to Glenlofty, Glenpatrick, Eversley and Amphitheatre, you're under an emergency warning and you should leave immediately. If you are to the north of the fire, including Amphitheatre, you should leave now and head towards Maryborough. If you are to the south of the fire, including Raglan and Chute, you should head towards uh, east, towards Ballarat. Relief centres are open at Princess Princess Park Reserve, I should say, in Maryborough at 40 Park Road. Uh, there will be a community meeting at 2pm this afternoon there. You usually get good information at those community meetings, 2pm this afternoon at uh, Princess Park Reserve in Maryborough at 40 Park Road for that meeting. There's relief centres at Lake Windery Football Ground and at Alexandra Oval in Ararat. To uh, the Western Highway has reopened this morning, but the Pyrenees Highway is closed from Skipton to Lexton. Traffic can still travel in a southerly direction from Beaufort to Ballarat. Uh, just to repeat, those two bushfire emergency warnings and a watch and act for the bushfire between Mount Cole and Raglan, northwest of Ballarat. The fire is heading uh, northeast towards Avoca. Uh, you can get those warnings via the Vic Emergency app or website, or stay tuned to ABC Local Radio. And when we get that information, uh, we will. Bring Bring that to you. And actually, uh, while I've been talking away, uh, the Watch and Act east of the fire front at Lexton's been downgraded to advice. That's why I anyway, gave you uh, an advice and a Watch and Act in the middle of that. It is definitely an advice uh, now for that fire front at Lexton. So that sort of additional uh, warning that was around that part of these complex of fires uh, in some good news is down now to an advice level. You still have those emergency warnings you need to be aware of, though, as well. Hopefully we have more good news to bring you before the end of this program today. Always, always hoping to uh, bring you good news here on the Country Out. Let's get to rural news now. Emma Field can take you through what's happening in the world of agriculture away from the fires today. Good afternoon, Emma. G'day, Warwick. The first shipment of WA cattle to Indonesia this year is on the water and another is scheduled to leave the Port of Fremantle today, while the first shipment out of the north, leaving Broome, is scheduled for the first week of March. Approvals for these shipments came through last Friday when the Indonesian government issued the long-awaited live export trade permits, allowing 650,000 head of Australian cattle to be exported to our northern neighbour this year. Andrew Stewart is the agent principal at Kimberley Livestock and Property. There was at least two, maybe three shipments of cattle down in Perth area that were ready to go and they've been sort of going out now. As I said, one or two have gone, but probably another one or two in the pipeline. Um, We've just taken on our first couple of boats up here. It's exciting that it's happening. It's a 
been an ordinary wet to say the least up here in the north and it's sort of driven from Perth up over the last couple of weeks and yeah it's yeah borderline disastrous right literally from Perth up it's uh, a pretty sad state of affairs so a positive for us up here anyhow that we can start getting cattle together and get, get things moving. Renewed plans to build one of the world's largest prawn farms on a Kimberley cattle station has been derailed by a court ruling. Sea Farms is the parent company of the ambitious $2 billion project Sea Dragon. It's been in the federal court over a payment dispute with Canstruct, the contractor managing work on the prawn facility at Legune Station, north of Kununurra. Project Sea Dragon entered voluntary administration in February last year, following an order from the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors to pay the contractor $13.9 million of unpaid fees. A month later, Sea Farms announced the project had entered into a deed of company arrangement, limiting the amount it would pay Construct, Construct to about 10% of the amount sought. The court judgment today ordered a termination of this deed of company arrangement on the grounds it was being used to avoid its liability to Canstruct, which would be in breach of the Corporations Act. The court ordered the project be wound up in insolvency. However, Project Sea Dragon is able to appeal. And Sea Farm's lawyer told the ABC it's business as usual for the project until any appeals is determined. And still in the west, but down to the southeast, where farmers in salmon gums in Western Australia have been brushing up on their sheep skills after being called upon to help with some stranded livestock. That's because the main route across the Nullarbor, the Air Highway, has closed due to a bushfire. A watch and act is still in place for people travelling along the Air Highway near the Balladonia Roadhouse in the Shire of Dundas. The roadhouse itself is about 220 kilometres east of Norseman. Stam, Sam Stasevich and her family farm south of there, about 120 kilometres north of Esperance. And she says most farmers in her area got out of sheep years ago, but today the yards are full of sheep again. As soon as we still had the sheep yard set up, was it possible that we could uh, take some sheep for a night or two or three, depending on how long the road's closed for? So we ended up with about 1,490, I think, here, um, two road trains, and, yeah, a few other farmers um, around the Salmon Gums area took the others. We'll possibly have to get some water carted because it is quite ironic that they come to the town and to the farms with no water at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we'll work out some troughs and um, make sure they've got plenty of water and feed. And AgriFutures Australia has identified the crocodile sector as an industry with a lot of growth potential and has this month launched a five-year plan for the industry. Dr Sally Isberg, one of the co-authors of the report and also the managing director for the Centre for Crocodile Research, says she's tried to bring together information from the industry that is very guarded about the finer details. Success to me looks like an industry that has increased export sales and the ultimate way to achieve that is to maintain that natural animal leathers are by far superior to any faux leather products that's on the market. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, a very optimistic industry to be involved in and that was, that was also reflected through the rd plan. And a big wet season hasn't prevented one woman on a remote Queensland cattle property from making the 5,000-kilometre round trip to see pop megastar Taylor Swift. Maddie Hall is a governess working 70 kilometres from Normanton in Queensland and had to go the extra lengths to get to the concert. So at the moment, the river over the bridge to town is three metres above the road. 
and the other bridges the other way to town are also well underwater. So we've been rained in for the past five weeks. So this morning I had to get in a little R22 mustering helicopter with no doors and fly into town to get on my Rex plane. It's a two-seater chopper with your leg room. I had my handbag under the seat, my duffel bag with my feet on top of it. So I was a bit scared I was going to like maybe fall out, even though I knew I wouldn't, just because it was a bit awkward. So I've gone from the station to Normanton to Cairns to Sydney, and then my way back is Sydney, Mount Isa, Dumagee, Mornington Island, Normanton Station. And Warwick, I guess it wasn't a cruel summer for Maddie this time around. And that's Rural News for this week. Wow, thanks very much for that, Emma Field. That is an incredible journey to go and see Taylor Swift. 5,000 kilometre round trip. Would it be worth it? Oh, I bet she'll tell you it was. What a story. Anyway, 0467842722. If you want to send us a text, uh, Mitch says, uh, we're up in Dingy. Beautiful part of the world, Mitch. Uh, we're between, which is between Bendigo and Kerrang. Uh, and the plains around us are covered in a smoky haze. It's very strong smell of smoke all around. No fires nearby. So it's all from those fires down south. It's always amazing when you have those big complex fires, how much smoke and how far it can go. Mitch, great info. Thank you very much for sending that through. Certainly an area dinghy. You had plenty of water go your way about 18 months ago as well. You know too well around disasters and how people deal with them too. So it's uh, it's always nice to, to get a message from, from those areas about uh, what is going on. Thank you very much for sending it through. Stephanie Miles is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology and can join you to tell us what's happening weather-wise right now. G'day, Stephanie. Warwick, how are you? I'm good. Uh, we should start with the fire ground at the moment. What's happening weather-wise around that sort of Beaufort, Raglan area today and how's it looking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything out in the west at the moment, it looks like it's become a lot more settled than what we had yesterday. We're under a high-pressure ridge, which is really nice in terms of the settled atmospheric conditions. But in terms of the winds, uh, they're remaining in that southwesterly airstream about 30 to 45 kilometres per hour today. And, you know, the good news is that it's not really changing for the next 12 to, you know, 24 hours. And I, by that, I mean that hopefully the consistent uh, pattern will help the fires, uh, or firefighters fight the fires, really. Yeah, yeah, wind direction change is horrible for fighting fires because it can, can change the front. So that's unlikely to happen for the next 12 hours. That's good news. Yeah, absolutely. And if anything, by tomorrow on Saturday, we've got that pressure, high-pressure ridge moving over us. So, I mean, if anything, our winds could drop out in terms of the strength as well. So I'm sure that that was, you know, good news for the firefighters out there as well. And elsewhere around Victoria today, how's it looking? Yeah, I mean, the cool change that we had to come through the state yesterday looks like it's very much, to, uh, you know, exited the eastern parts of our state. We are seeing some, you know, warm northwesterly winds in the upper atmosphere still over the very far eastern parts of our state, and that's what's causing a couple of those lightning strikes you can probably see in the very far eastern, maybe alpine area at the moment. But apart from that, we're really very much under the impression of that high-pressure ridge, so we've got, you know, a bit of cloud in the south, a couple of little light showers here and there, and then other than those places that it can probably see smoke dominating their, you know, upper skies. We've got quite a bit of sunshine around. So, yeah, look around the state in terms of our temperatures, we're looking at anywhere between the, you know, mid to high 20s for those places in the very far north of those warmer ones up to about 27 degrees in Mildura. But, yeah, look around the south, we're only expecting around 19, 20 degrees. Melbourne itself is 21. And then 
out in the far southwest, we've only got 19 in Warrnambool. So, yeah, look, some really cooler conditions today, very uh, different to what we were experiencing yesterday, Warwick. Yeah, and does that stick around for the weekend? It sure does. So as we said, tomorrow those winds should settle a little bit and we'll remain in those settled conditions for Saturday. We've got our temperatures increasing maybe one or two degrees, but then on Sunday in particular, our winds swing just slightly northerly, which means we've got some temperature increases once again. So those places in the north, anywhere between the low to mid-30s, we've got about 34 degrees in Mildura, but those places in the south as well also increasing. So about 28, 29 degrees for places like Sale and Bansdale. Uh, yeah, so look, the south also warming up just slightly. And then on Monday, a very similar day and then on Tuesday we do have our winds turning a little bit further uh, more northerly which will increase those temperatures once again so by about mid next week or so we will see you know sunny skies and those temperatures increase again and it looks like there's a bit of a change coming through sometime on Wednesday as well so you know we'll be very much looking forward to that outlook period to see if it's got any impact on our fine day just once again Warwick. Yeah so uh, early indications uh, (laughs) what are we looking at? I mean, at the moment, it looks like uh, perhaps there's a little bit of a southwesterly change kind of coming to the southwestern parts of our state and perhaps in the afternoon. Our models are really uncertain on the timing, but it does look like perhaps it'll move through overnight Wednesday and into Thursday morning again. So if that, you know, we kind of get that change moving slightly slower or faster, it will change completely how those top temperatures will be released throughout the day and then also our fire danger rating. So once we get the timing a little bit more form- firmed up, we'll be able to, you know, impress that into our fire danger ratings and see how we're going for next week. Thursday's become the day we are obsessing over at the moment, weather-wise, in our patterns. Uh, Stephanie, uh, can you do something about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone just look out for Thursday yeah, from now onwards. <laughs> it's just Thursdays, apparently. Stephanie, greatly appreciated. Um, oh, just before I let you go, warnings-wise, especially across the weekend, anything I need to keep an eye on? Nothing in particular at the moment. We've got a couple of strong wind warnings over our coastal areas. Uh, but apart from that, no, a really nice little weekend ahead. Great. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Eric. Enjoy your day. Senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, Stephanie Miles, taking you through the full forecast there. It's 17 to 1 here on the country. I will move away from fires. If anything changes, of course, we'll go back there and cross there. And if you want to tell us what's going on where you are, you can always call us, 1300 977 2 But let's talk about other issues right now on the country hour, including talking about uh, keeping an eye on your cattle or your sheep, which... We know it can be tough work, which for people in the fire ground, very tough work at the moment. But as farmers get older, working across larger, more remote properties, uh, there could be a turn to technology to try and work smarter around keeping an eye on your stock. A drone photographer in Victoria says he's developed a world-first app that can take the hard work out of counting and monitoring livestock. Edward Barraclough hit upon the idea when his father, who's in his 80s and has had no plans to leave the farm, asked if there was a way to watch his sheep from the skies. And Fiona Broom went to find out how it all works. We've designed it so that the farmer just needs to take the drone outside, turn it on, choose his, his paddock and press go. The drone takes off by itself, flies out over the paddock, videos all of the the animals there and at the same time tells you immediately how many you've got, where they are and if any are in trouble. This is Edward Barraclough. Edward's a drone photographer and he's showing me his latest venture, a drone-controlled livestock monitoring app. It's driven by artificial intelligence and Edward reckons when it hits the market, it'll be the world's first drone livestock monitor. At the moment, we are 
we've built that AI model. We've um, done a whole lot of customer research and validation. I've been through a few pre-accelerator courses with a group called Farmers to Founders. They're supported by Launch Vic and a few other of the government-funded uh, initiatives. They've been a fantastic help to help teach me all the things I need to know about startups. Right now, we're working with developers here in Melbourne to integrate the AI model into the flight control app. That should be ready in a few months, and as soon as that's ready, we'll be ready to launch. Um, I've done about more than 300 interviews with customers to, to, to confirm all of this. We've got early adopters in a few states now, and um, we're looking forward to, to having a really exciting launch. Now, I just popped one of these drones up. When we uh, use this for the animals, I generally fly it about 100 metres up, and that way the animals tend not to react at all. They don't seem to notice it. But you will notice as it takes off, it's a little loud. And so that's at about, uh, it's only about five metres or so up, but you can still hear it quite loud. But as soon as they go up, go up a bit higher. And that's just at 50 metres now, and so you can barely hear it. Yeah, that just would blend in with regular farm yeah. noises, wouldn't it? But then if I go up to 100 metres where we use the drone hand software, you almost can't hear it at all. And so that's Almost can't see it either. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, the sheep don't tend to notice. They don't yeah. react. The same with the cattle next door and things like that as well. And so how did you come to create this software? As I said, I've, I've been a drone photographer, an aerial photographer, for a little while now, and I've used all types of different programs with it. My dad works, uh, has a farm up in New South Wales and uh, I was up there one day taking some photos with a drone. Uh, he's in his mid-80s. He looked over my shoulder and said, you know, if you could check the sheep for me with that, I could stay on the farm longer. Because at his age, you know, getting around, just trying to uh, open the gates, drive around up and down the hills to check the sheep is not the easiest thing in the world. Now, I'd used plenty of different programs for mapping and surveying, and I knew there were agricultural programs for cropping, and I thought there had to be something for animals. So I looked into it, and the further I looked, I saw that there really wasn't. There wasn't any autonomous uh, systems built for, for monitoring livestock. After a lot of research and looking into it, I um, got in touch with a machine learning engineer out of Sydney University, and together we built the AI model, and uh, from there it's been a, a real slog to try and do customer validation and make sure that it is something that the market can support and get the technology going and it's looking like we'll be ready to launch in a few months and all going well we'll be the first to market. How much work is involved in counting your flock or counting your herd? Have you heard from, from producers that this will be a time saver for them? Yeah, that's right. Um, generally, I mean, it depends on the size of your property and, and the terrain and things like that, but you'd be spending a minimum of an hour or more, up to you know three or four hours, depending on where you are, just getting into the ute or the buggy, going out, opening, closing gates, getting through the paddocks. I've taken this around to quite a number of different farmers around the place, and their general response has been initially, oh, drones, I'm not too sure about that. But once I show them what it looks like to look down on the property and look down at the animals, they're like, wow, that's amazing. I, I could, you know, that could save me so much time. I could uh, do so many other things if I could just send it off from my house. Um, so, yeah, generally it's, it's 
likely to save quite a lot of time and money in staffing costs. And in terms of getting to grips with the technology and how to use the software in the program, is it something that would take a lot of time to learn? Not really, because we've tried to make it as user-friendly as possible. Um, we've tried to make it as autonomous as possible. So basically all the farmer needs to do is on their computer to define the boundaries of their paddocks. That then automatically goes to the app that controls the drone. And then all you need to do is take the drone outside, turn it on, choose your paddock and your livestock, whether it's sheep or cattle, and press go. The drone takes off, flies a, a route that is predetermined, comes back and tells you instantly how many sheep and or cattle you've got, where they are, and if any have any issues. Farmers do sometimes have a reputation for being a bit tech-averse, but I love that it was your dad, who's in his 80s, who said, can you write me a software for that? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's a funny misconception. Uh, we have a view of farmers as being tech-averse and, and sort of being against anything new. But actually, agriculture is the largest adopter of new tech of any industry. But they have to know that it works, that you have to show them that it works. <laughs> yeah. So we do hear often about farm crime, about livestock theft, and we hear that one of the difficulties with farm crime is if you have 20 sheep or 40 sheep taken out of the flock, you might not know about it for a couple of months, by which time the police don't really have anything to go on. Could you see this being uh, beneficial in any way to sort of stemming some of that livestock theft? Yeah, exactly. And and that was something that I, even though I come from an ag background, it's something that I hadn't truly appreciated how severe it's become in the last few years. Uh, Drone Hand is definitely built for, for that purpose as well, to help stem some of the losses through livestock theft and uh, general animal mortality. Um, just being able to have an accurate count, an accurate number of, of how many animals you have, uh, like you said, if 30 go missing, you may not notice or really realise uh, at ground level when they're spread out over a very large paddock. But with this, you'll know every couple of days exactly how many you've got and where they are. Edward Barraclough there, founder of the Drone Hand Livestock Monitoring app. He was speaking with Fiona Broom, counting the sheep from the skies. Pretty amazing technology to uh, to talk about there. It's 9 to 1 here on the country. Our, our Jenny and Cotton's sent a text in regards to the weather saying, and the Matildas are playing their Olympic qualifier in Melbourne on Wednesday. I hope the weather is kind, says Jenny. Hey, Jenny, they're playing at the stadium with a roof. It should be fine. No matter what the weather is, they can close the, close the roof, which should make it comfortable to be a spectator, of which I will be one with my daughter. So you mightn't see me, hear me on the country hour next Thursday because I would have been to the Matildas, which I'm pretty excited about. You probably don't care. So let's talk about checking and keeping samples of dead rabbits right now because that's what you do care about. CSIRO scientists are calling on members of the public to collect samples from dead rabbits so they can monitor how well Khaleesi virus, which is one of the viruses released by government to kill rabbits, how well that virus is spreading through and controlling rabbit populations. It's part of a citizen science project that's been running for almost a decade with more than 3,000 samples submitted to date. Research scientist Dr Nias Peng says citizen science is a great way for scientists to get a handle on what's happening on the ground. So this project is about understanding rabbit viruses in Australia and how we can use biocontrol to manage wild rabbits. Such efforts are designed to support the health of our vulnerable ecosystems. So we need to be able to detect new recombinant versions of um, rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus or RHDVs as they emerge 
We also need to monitor declines in older variants because they can impact the effectiveness of future forms of biocontrol. And to do that monitoring and detection work, you're, you're getting help from the public, essentially? Yes, yes. So um, the public, or what we like to call them citizen scientists, are extremely important because they contribute samples for us to test and um, allow us to actually um, perform our research in that skill, in a nationwide skill. And this is actually the longest-running citizen science survey in relation to rabbit diseases in the yes, world? Yes, yes. So this is actually the longest-running citizen science surveys of rabbit diseases in the world, yes. So it's been running for nine years, and, and you have had yeah. uh, assistance from the public to this point, but you'd like more? Yes, we will um, love to have more samples submitted um, by the public to keep this going. It's important for us to actually um, continue this, this research, um, this survey, um, because biocontrol uh, or the use of RHDVs in, in managing the wild rabbit populations uh, is extremely effective. And having this information from the surveillance of RSS um, across the nation really contributes to that. So if members of the public or, or citizen scientists are listening to this, how do they get involved? So they can actually visit our um, website, um, research.csro.au slash rhdv to find out more information. Um, but essentially, the gist of it is that um, they will submit a request for a sample kit. We will then send them a sample kit that will contain the instructions on how to actually submit samples to us. Okay, so you're asking them to find samples of dead rabbits and uh, send them into you? Well, if they en- encounter dead rabbit or if they are a pet uh, owner themselves, then if they, um, they would be able to, um, you know, if they are curious to find out, uh, then they will um, use the kit and then follow the instructions and send the samples to us that way. How many samples have you been receiving and, and how many would you like? So over the past nine years, we have received over 3,000 samples. We would like to keep that going. The exact numbers per year varies. Um, depending on seasons, but it averages to about um, 200-ish per year. And Nias, just talk me through how how Khaleesi virus is actually performing at the moment in in controlling rabbit populations. So the current um, RHDV K5 biocontrol is actually effective at a localised level. So what I mean by that is it's actually really effective in managing the wild rabbit colonies at a local area in which it's applied. And I know we have multiple strains and there have been new strains introduced. So uh, does the the efficacy of of each strain diminish over time and does that necessitate the need for for new strains? So uh, new strains are necessary, but currently right now, the natural strains are more effective in doing their work in managing the... um, wild rabbit populations. But it's not to say that our current biocontrol is not working as well. They are, they, there's always some form of competition between the variants as they circulate around um, the rabbits. Uh, and, and that's just part of it. And we are hoping that um, by continuing this surveillance program, we are able to then detect more recombinant or new variants such that um, they can be further investigated and uh, research upon on whether they, are, they, they can be used as an updated um, biocontrol strain. That is uh, Dr. Nias Peng, 
uh, speaking to Angus Verley. Dr. Peng is a research scientist with the CSIRO uh, speaking there. Before we finish the country hour for another week, uh, let's talk rice and uh, get some information there because rice growers are just a couple of weeks from the start of their harvest of their 2024 crop. Muramai Rice Grower and President of the Rice Growers Association of Australia, Peter Herman, says growers have now gotten through the riskiest part of the season they're ready to go to bring in that crop. Growers are conducting farm walks and making decisions about uh, draining times. It's one of those decision-making times of whether you pull the plug on the crop, how much moisture remains in the soil to complete the grain and what the weather looks like for the month ahead as to whether it'll, it'll finish just on time with the right amount of moisture to allow for, for a smooth harvest. And January and February are quite a critical time for rice. How has it been this year weather-wise? Well, we haven't seen cold stints like we have had in previous years. So it's generally positive news. We haven't had any horrors. We don't expect any horror stories in that way this year else. And so how will the crop this year compare to last year in the last couple of years in terms of its size overall, do you think? It'll be around about the same as last year's and the last two years which um, they were around about the half a million tonne mark, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, depending on whether the gods are smiling on us with yields. But at this stage, it looks at least an average of yield. Are the processes getting started in Deniliquin and other places? Oh, my word. There's a good vibe around. People have uh, have done well out of the last few years. And um, while we're, we remain cautious, we're still um, cautiously optimistic about this year. Cautiously optimistic, Muramai Rice Grower and President of the Rice Growers Association of Australia, Peter Herman there speaking to Elsie Kennedy. That is almost all the time we have for you on the Country Hour for today and indeed this week. Remember, if you can't get enough of the Country Hour and you want to catch up more on what we do, you can always listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Victorian Country Hour or even online. You can find that or in the ABC Listen up, and you can always send me an email if you want to get in touch as well. Country hour at abc.net.au is that email. Country hour at abc.net.au. If you're out in those uh, fire zones for under those two emergency warnings currently around that sort of uh, Raglan, uh, Beaufort amphitheatre area, I hope you stay safe and uh, hope uh, you know that the hard work of firefighters helps you out wherever you are. Uh, if you're uh, going to have a long weekend, I hope uh, it, you get the sleep when you need and you can uh, look after those around you to always check on your neighbour if you can during events like this. We'll be back on Monday and we'll chat to you all about that and many other things then. Catch you soon. It's coming up to one o'clock.